Welcome to the Educator Ignited Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Palmas, a wife, mom, educator, and learner addict. I am obsessed with all things improving education, and this podcast is all about proving what's possible in education. If you are hungry to learn about and be inspired by ways in which educators are doing things out of the box, altering the status quo, then you are tuning into the right podcast. We talk to guests who are trailblazers on a transformative journey to change the educational system, extending their impact beyond the boundaries of the classroom. Educators Ignited embodies our shared commitment to igniting a fire within each and every educator, empowering our education community to become catalysts for change. Through the Educators Ignited podcast, we will continue to bring you inspiring stories, thought-provoking discussions, and practical strategies to empower educators worldwide Together, we will light the way for a new era of education where students thrive and teachers are catalysts for innovation. Hey there, are you an aspiring or dedicated instructional coach searching for a transformative experience that goes beyond the technical aspects of coaching? Look no further. Welcome to the Transforming Teacher Tribe Mastermind, or Tribe for short. In Tribe, we believe in cultivating not just effective teachers, but true teacher leaders. The mastermind is designed to take your coaching to the next level by guiding you on a journey of self-discovery and professional growth. What sets Tribe apart from other masterclasses well, similar programs may cost you anywhere from $800 to $1,000. I have an incredible offer for you. You can join our exclusive tribe for just $95. What do you get for this incredible value? Let me tell you. Tribe offers a carefully curated curriculum that combines the technical and transformational aspects of coaching. We'll explore cutting-edge methodologies and frameworks that empower teachers to unlock their full potential. However, the real magic happens through our intentional group coaching and the support of our tight-knit community. In Tribe, you'll find like-minded instructional coaches who are passionate about revolutionizing teacher leadership. Together, we'll share insights, tackle challenges, and celebrate successes. Joining Tribe is an investment in yourself, your teachers, and your students. Together, we'll equip you with the tools and strategies needed to spark a revolution in your school. Say goodbye to traditional masterclasses and embrace a transformative experience. So, are you ready to embark on this journey of self-discovery and professional growth? Then don't miss out on this offer. Sign up and secure your spot for just $95. Visit the link in the show notes or you can simply go to subscribepage.com forward slash transforming teachers tribe. Again, that's subscribepage.com forward slash transforming teachers tribe. Together, let's revolutionize teacher leadership and create a brighter future for our students. So excited to have our guest with us today. Her name is Naomi Lopez. We are actually sitting a mere miles apart. She comes to us from another podcast guest, Brittany Bigley, who, if you haven't listened to her episode, it's just such a powerful episode in really the practice of self-care and understanding ourselves and the journey of bettering ourselves to be better for our students. And so when she and I got off her episode, she said, you have to talk to this person, Naomi Lopez. She's a speech pathologist, has been in education doing different things, but her most recent work is really uplifting the voices of our teachers and the support of our teachers. And she's going to talk all about this, but through the lens of community and how communities can rally around the 
education systems to help it become better. And so knowing this, I knew Naomi had to be on the show. And I'm just so excited for Naomi to share her journey and the work that she is doing, because this is work that many of us talk about, but Naomi has actually put it in action. So without further ado, would love to just hand it to you, Naomi, and have you introduce yourself a little bit more and share with our community what has brought you to education and inspired the work that you've been doing, especially the work that you've been doing the last few years. Thank you so much, Kelly. That's such a nice introduction. (laughs) I am honored to be here with you today. I'm honored to become the voice of the movement that I, with others in my community, have started. I'm a speech language pathologist. I've been a speech path for over 20 years. About And I started doing school-based speech language pathology work as a contractor in 2009. And then I, I worked at many of the school districts here in town. And so that was a really nice experience working with families from across the city and kind of it gave me a good insight of how different school districts do different things when it comes to service delivery for speech paths and just in general, just things that districts have autonomy on different kinds of decisions. So that was interesting to see when I decided that I wanted to work for a school district. I chose District 11 because I really enjoyed the population that I worked with in District 11. I also enjoyed Whitefield. That was really nice too, but that is far from my home. (laughs) I have been working as a contract employee for District 11 for four years now. I work in the um, middle school and elementary school level. I have two schools that I serve right now and I really love my job. And then about two years ago, I got involved in working with the district's equity leadership team. I I sit here two years later, now the president of Neighbors for Education, which is a grassroots organization of teachers and parents and community members that are advocating for public education. So we support anything that supports public education with a focus on equity, inclusion, and in some instances, justice. Sometimes I sit here at the end of a work week and I'm like, what has become, what does my life become like? This is crazy. There's a lot of responsibility that I feel to make sure that I lead this organization with integrity and that it's something that once I am gone, that it'll continue to be a force and a place where teachers and parents feel like they are supported and they can advocate for their needs in their public school systems. And it's been the last two years has my life has definitely been taken by grace into a new direction. So I still am a full-time speech language pathologist and I sit on many different boards in the city and all around equity work. So let's then talk about the impetus of Neighbors for Change. And so you talked about having started on the District Equity Committee. So share with us that journey that went through that helped ignite the opportunity for Neighbors for Education. I was sitting at my desk at my elementary school, looking at emails in the morning, got an email saying, if you're interested in serving on the district's equity leadership team, this is the application and the instructions. So I sat there and I actually had a feeling that I've had before many times in the past. And I just knew 
that it was something that I had to do. It's that spark that I feel where spirit is telling me, okay, here's where we want you. Go down this path. Okay. So I had that feeling. I came home and I spoke to my kid about it. At the time they were in elementary school and I said, I got this email at work and I was thinking of applying for this position. What do you think? And they said, but what do you mean? What are you going to be doing? And I said, but I would be helping the school district look at policies that they have to ensure that kids like you and kids like your friends are served correctly in school and protected and have access to all the good things. And my kid said, yes, mom, yes, you got to do that. So I said, okay. So I went the next day to work and I was going to apply and I was terrified. I don't know why I was terrified. I think now in retrospect, because my, maybe my soul knew what was coming ahead of me. And I knew that it was really a catalyst in my life. And I knew I could not apply, especially knowing that my child was going to be watching me and I couldn't tell them that I didn't do it. So with a lot of trepidation, I filled out the application. Now, when I think about it, there's so much more involvement that I've come to and so much more advocacy that I've done. That kind of simple application wouldn't bother me now, but at the time I just knew it was a big deal. So I sent it off and then I got accepted into the team. So then what we started to do is at that time, District 11 had paid for the American Institute of Research did a a study on equity throughout all the systems of the district and they came up with an equity report. So we were looking at that report and in um, every single department on all academic measures, there were equity gaps except for special education. In special education, as a matter of fact, District 11 has been for years now actually recognized by the state of Colorado for not having equity gaps in their in special education. So what that means is we're not over or underrepresenting any kind of group, whether it be racial minority groups or any racial groups, social economic status of students, free reduced lunch students, second language learners. There's no there were no gaps at all in any areas for special education. So that I felt a sense of pride there too, since that's the department in which I work. But we were really starting to dive deep into the different equity gaps and trying to come up with solutions that we could present to the school district as the advisory team of things that we could do. And it was the committee was comprised of teachers, parents, community members. And then in, I guess, two years ago in November, there was a school board race and there were one, two, three three school board members that were elected and they ran on anti-equity. That was their, that's what they ran on, parent choice, anti-equity. And at the time COVID was there. So that was a thing like making their students wear masks. And so they got elected. The first thing that they did was get rid of the equity department. They just decided not to refund it. So there's no more equity department. And the superintendent left that kind of came in to foster the equity, who started the equity department. So at that point, it was very disheartening because we were, for the first time ever, 
District 11 had an equity department. And I think in our city, there are not many, in some of the chairs of some of the committees on that knew that probably the equity department would be no longer funded. So they reached out to many of us that were already in the committee to say, let's start a grassroots organization. Michael Williams, who is actually the current executive director of Citizens Project here in Colorado Springs, he was the chair of one of the committees I was on. And he said, Naomi, you have to come with us. We're going to start this organization, essentially doing the same work that we were doing through the committee, but through grassroots style. So that's how Neighbors for Education came about. And at that time, for the first year, we had a chairwoman in District 11, and I was co-chair with Michael Williams. And we had a bunch of the same people that were in the committee and then some new parents and community members that just got behind the work. Since then, we have expanded to have two other chapters. We have a chapter in District 49 and a chapter in District 20. The same thing, every district has their own issues that they're working with, but we are a united community and we are just a club. We are not a 5013C. We're not a nonprofit. We're just an organized club of people. We do have some fiscal sponsors that we can do some educational programming with. That's been a real blessing. But really, we've just built a network between other organizations within the city that are also doing equity work like Inside Out Youth Services, Latina Equity Foundation, Men of Influence, Chinook Center, El Paso County PTA. And then we have some national partners as well. So that's a brief synopsis of that, Neighbors, and how that came about. Yeah, what a powerful example of what happens when a group of like-minded community members who are passionate about something can galvanize. And so to that, I'm curious to know what has Neighbors for Education been able to do? What are some of the changes you've been able to see and or are working on? So our organization is about a year and a half old. In February is when we had expanded and the the leadership voted me in to be president over the entire organization. So unfortunately, what has happened within the last year and a half is that we have been seeing within District 11, District 20, and District 49, a big push, let's just be really frank here, anti-people. <laughs> so we've seen some homophobic attacks on students and teachers. We've seen a push to ban books that, that talk about the accomplishments of people of color or people of the LGBTQ community. We've seen attacks on the teachers union in District 11 from, we've seen the, uh, the arise of some other organizations. I'm assuming like ours, there's one in District 11, there's one in District 20 who they're pushing to have more control over that and not allow, for example, in District 11, there was a proposal by one of the school board members to not allow, to write a policy that would refuse to allow teachers to ask children what their pronouns are. So it's a lot of our stuff has been um, just organizing, speaking at board meetings, letting them know the facts, the data behind some of the decisions, advocating for our professionalism as teachers, 
joining with the community to let the school district know that we are here and that we need to be listened to. And honestly, there's a lot of ignoring that gets done. There's not really any kind of big changes that we've seen. But what I have noticed is that we have been able to push off some of these board suggestions to change policies and they're not doing it. They're just letting go of that idea for now. And I do really think it's because of the communities come together. And I'm not saying that it's us, Neighbors for Education. But what we do is we do coordinate with people in the community to make sure that we speak up for those things that are just and that are right. It is hard work, especially because for myself, I'm invested in all the way around. I'm an educator, right? So when they are attacking, so when they're attacking the educators and saying that we are groomers and indoctrinators because we want to accept our children as they are, or our students, if I have a student who is transgender and goes by a certain pronoun, then I am going to respect them for that because I cannot have a learner be present to, to learn and to receive all the educational benefits of being in school if they don't feel safe, if they don't feel seen. And actually being in school while they know that the leadership within the school districts are actively attacking them or against them is a very unsafe and dangerous place to be. I also have a child who is transgender, and I have spoken up about that as a mother, as a teacher, as a educator, as a union member, as a Latina. And I will continue to do that because if not me, then who? right? I can't sit back and expect for somebody else to advocate for me and my child. I have to do it. And having done that has really put a toll on my emotional well-being because these extra pressures on from the outside, feeling like I know many teachers who have felt, especially history teachers, teachers that are teaching any of that curriculum, they have been very nervous. They are afraid that there are a group of parents out there that are out to get them. Some of the stuff that's been happening around the nation in other states where there's actually been laws against teachers even having a rainbow in their room, having a certain book on their shelves. It's just really like a witch hunt. And now public education has become the focus for for some people to say, we, we need to have control over public education. And the way, the reason why we do is because these bad things are happening. But let's just be honest, the, none of those things are happening. We are not in the classroom asking children, okay, now let's think about this. What, what gender are you? Like, that's just not happening. Okay. We are not any of these things that you're hearing or that people might be hearing in social media outlets that teachers are communists and the teachers unions are in cahoots with the government to make, to erode parental rights in the family unit of America because we are teaching whatever kind of things. It's just, there's been a lot of that. So by default, we as Neighbors for Education feel like we need to stand up and speak out against that hate whenever we have a chance. We also do a lot of partnership with the leadership in school districts, so working on ensuring that there are equitable practices in certain areas. I know that District 11 
this past year did hire a bunch of, I guess it's called family engagement. So they're working more to connect with the Spanish speaking population in our district and those parents and get them more involved. So Neighbors for Education has partnered with Latina Equity Foundation to ensure that we do those supports on the back end to support the families within the district. So there's a lot of those things that are consistently happening. School board elections are coming up. So we are uh, we are going to want to support in any way that we can. We are a nonpartisan group, but we will definitely try to support those school board candidates in any of those districts that are that are willing to just use to put their partisan ideas away and just actually govern for what our students need in all the districts. That's what we want. We're, public education is for all students. Okay? It's we don't bring in our personal beliefs or doctrines into the classroom with the students. And we want the school board reg- that are regulating policies for our districts to do the same. I love all of that and appreciate it so much. And I appreciate you sharing just so vulnerably the own circumstances of your life as to why you are so passionate about this from your own child to your own experiences as an educator to your just aspects of your identity. And so that's really informing. And thank you so much for sharing that. You know, I, mean, I am curious as you think about your work with students within two schools, within this district, within the community, what is, what do you want to be true for teachers? As you're like thinking about the advocacy and support, like at the most fundamental level, in your heart of hearts, in your gut, in the pit, what do you want to see true? I want teachers to be respected. There's a lot of things, okay? We are professionals, right? We are professionals. We have our degrees, some of us, multiple degrees. We're trained in pedagogy in our specific fields. We should be treated as such and regarded as such and honored as such. During the pandemic, we were heroes. That was a rough time. That was a really hard time. My child's, I had to figure out where they were going to go to school. I had to go into school as a special service provider, as a speech pathologist. I had to work with very vulnerable kids. And there's times where I had to put extra measures in place because I have to use my mouth to instruct them because I'm a speech pathologist. So I had to let that down. So there, there was just, at that point, there was a lot of fear across the world, really, that we were, there was this unknown. And so we rallied together, I believe, as a human race and as a profession, as teachers, we're here doing what we need to do because we all got into this because we love our students and because we have a passion in our heart is to educate. We are educators. I could work as a speech pathologist anywhere at a hospital, at a home health agency, a skilled nursing unit, but I choose to do education because I am an educator. I come from a family of educators. So we are all that. That's We should be honored as such. And then now, to not even a year later, then all of a sudden we were the boogeyman, the enemies of the nation with this nefarious agenda to ruin families and children for generations to come. That is a very hurtful and dangerous, stark difference on how teachers across America are being viewed and attacked. We also don't have living wages. Governor Polis came to my home last month to talk to me about about finding affordable housing 
on a teacher income. So I'm a single mother. So I have one teacher income. And because I'm a speech pathologist, I guess it doesn't matter. I'm on the same teacher pay scale. But because I've been doing it for over 20 years, I'm a little higher on the pay scale. Still, I cannot buy myself a home for my child and I because everything has gone up, food, gas. And so there are a lot of us educators are, are struggling and getting hit from all areas of our life. So in my heart of hearts and in my gut, I want every teacher to understand that, at least I see you, I feel you, I understand you. There's a community of people here through Neighbors for Education and around the nation that do support you. And we are actively working to try to address these issues within our own school districts, within our cities, and at the state level, educators from across Colorado we are doing advocacy at the state level to ensure that all of us are taken care of. So I would just like to get back to the days where we could just do our jobs, enrich the lives of our students, connect with their families, and live happily with our families. And school board meetings were boring again. That would be amazing. But cheers to that. That's the ultimate goal. School board meetings are boring. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. And I guess to that point, then Naomi, what advice do you have for educators to do this? And again, it's not about educators doing this in isolation. You are saying it does take the families. It does take the district. It might take a a club or a union or whatever, what would you say then for educators to get these policies heard, to be seen? Like you said, I see you, I feel you, I hear you, but more people need to hear, see, and feel our educators. What do we need to be doing to be seen, heard, and felt? I think that one thing that I found in this work that I've been doing through Neighbors is that I apparently I'm not afraid to speak up. That, that's my personality, but that, that's, that's not everyone's personality. Everyone has a gift and everyone has a role that they can play in the world that they want to create. So there are many things that you can do. You can, you can go to our website, neighborsfored.org, and there's a page there on educate yourself. And there's a bunch of points there that parents, teachers, anyone can do to get more involved and to understand the processes of how things are done within school districts. At the school board level, at the state level, you can write letters, right? You can write emails to them. You can testify or even write emails when it comes to state actions or laws that are being proposed and whether you're for or against them. There are things you can do that are not out there. The energy and the power that comes when people stick together for a common cause when they come together and you feel like you're not alone, that's the most powerful thing because then I think that you can find your voice, right? You can find it is what it is that you could do. Some people feel like they want to do something and maybe that you can find a nonprofit or a club like ours that you want to donate to, or maybe you can volunteer. The most important thing is volunteer to be on your school district school accountability committees or the district accountability committees. We need teachers on those committees. We need parents on those committees. We need community members on those committees. And those are throughout the state. And I'm assuming in other states that they have similar types of committees. 
Those are the easiest ways to get involved so that you know that your voice is being heard. And I would say the easiest thing to do is within your own personal life. If all of that seems a little bit too much and your heart says, yes, I want to see some changes and I have some good ideas. Where you're at, if you're talking with your neighbor and they're talking about something that you feel is harmed or not correct when it comes to our public education or our teachers, then you could just say something, even just say, I don't agree with that. And that is not true. Something like that is so powerful. I am concerned that there is this effort in this country to undermine and make weak our public education system through various initiatives. And I think that we need to fight for that because public education is free for every student. And every student should deserve the right to have the same type of education and the same type of facilities with the same amount of certified professional educators than any other children. And I think that if we don't really recognize this and start to, as a community, come together to ensure that we save it, then we could be looking at a very different America for our children. And Neely, I almost see the flip side of that in that people are advocating for a system that has existed forever. And they're advocating for it to not change in times of change. And so it's like they're advocating for the system to be the same as it was built for. Like it was not built for a child like yours and their friends. And that's what they're trying to hold on to. And what you're trying to do is say the system needs to change as we as a society continue to change. I just feel like those efforts are to keep it the same. And like the status quo is not enough for the way in which our world exists. We have to do more. And I think what you're talking about, kind of a bigger chasm of how things are done within a system. So if we think about ourselves in our own classrooms, we have had an increase of students who are without parents. So I have a handful of students whose parents died during COVID. And so we have students who have a lot more trauma. That wasn't the case maybe 20 years ago, where you might have one or two But for the most part, there was more stability for students. And I guess it would depend on where you're at in the country, right? But within our classrooms, we have to adjust. We've also had an influx of students with autism, right? And we used to have separate schools for people with disabilities. We used to not educate them. We used to not see their potential. So through the years, we've had to adjust within our own classrooms to ensure that there is equity for all of those students. So there are also, remember I told you that special education did not have an equity gap in our district. There also has been years of laws that have come into place because of parents advocating for their special needs students to receive the same public education as any other student. And because of those laws have been in place, throughout the country. Now we have more equitable education for those students. We have to continue to, like you said, continue to be inclusive and serve the needs of our students, but not be afraid of the fact that things are changing because 
Queer students have existed, whether or not we acknowledge them or not. Left-handed students existed, whether or not we acknowledge them or not. And to come from a fear-based viewpoint to try to push stopgaps for certain students because of whatever your own personal belief is wrong. And it's harmful to all of our students in a society. Another thing that's done in public education is we learn how to get along with each other, right? We have fellow students that are different than us, and we learn how to be citizens in our society as we go through school. So there's always going to be things that need to adjust and change, but there are also things that need to to stay. I think it's easier to break down the building if you whittle away at the foundation, right? And I feel like that's that's what I'm talking about, whittling away at that foundation in general. While we're all looking at them pulling down the beams that we put up for the LGBTQ students or for the black and brown students or for the special ed students, we're trying to hold those up and all the while they're whacking away at the foundation. And that's just one of the one of the things that I'm cognizant of in the work that I do. It's a lot of work, but I am not alone. And since I've been doing this work, I feel the most alive and the most refreshed and the most joy in my life ever. I also do some spiritual work. And when I was doing that work, I also felt the same way, alive. Like I could just, I felt like that was my calling, right? And I feel again. This is my calling as well, and it's just in a different lane. And so I just feel really blessed and honored to be able to be chosen to do this work. And I'm excited to see where where the good work pays off. Oh, Naomi, thank you so much. And last two questions in essence, it's just, but I think this is a great segue for what you said, because you had mentioned you are not alone. You are right. alone. So what advice do you have for educators to have a renewed sense of hope of what is possible in education? I think it's when you're in the buildings, I think that we have this connection with our coworkers, right? Our fellow teachers, where we do feel like we're not alone. I think that when you sit back and you see all this chaos that's happening with a focus on your profession and you as a person where they're like, seems to be broadly attacking you, it can feel very jarring. So I just want people to know, like, I do this. I speak on podcasts. I had a, another episode on Colorado Public Radio where I told my story with the hope that someone would hear this and just know that there is someone else who knows exactly how you feel and that they're getting the work done together with other like-minded people. I think that's the most powerful thing. You asked me earlier, what are some things that people can do to feel more connected? I think it needs to just really start with acknowledging that we get to choose what we allow into our heart and our energy, right? If you choose to focus solely on the fear-based things that are out there, then you're going to feel stuck, stagnant, not know what to do. If you focus on the love and the hope and the connection that we have with each other and the reason why you got into this profession for in the first place, um, then that is what it's going to be the energy that's emanating from you and you're going to attract more of that to your life. And so I think that's just a very basic thing. I want to say another quick story that to me 
as I'm actively doing this work, there are many things that I come against and there are many things that I say, oh, thank goodness, that's a win. But this was the most powerful thing that happened to me last week. There's a student at my school who is biracial and is often in the program where they have to, it's called Goal Academy, where they can have some behavior issues and they have to get back on track. The teacher had the student come to me and tell me what they had told the teacher about how they felt in the schools. And they told me that they felt like they were there, that there wasn't teachers that looked like them, that they were not being taught their history. They were frustrated. They felt not seen, not wanted, and not loved. And this is a seventh grader. And I said, I hear you. I see you. And would you like these solutions? And I can help you with those. And that student said, yes. And I said, okay, I gave them an assignment. They came and they, I said, you're going to have to help me write the curriculum for this club that you might be able to have come at this school. And that per that student wrote the things and gave it to me. <clears throat> I'm at different schools. So this past week, I was not at that school that day, but I came to pick up something from my office. And when I opened my office door, there was a note on the floor. And I opened it up and it was from this student. And this student told me, Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for what you're doing for me. Even though you don't even know me, I feel like you care and love me. And God bless your soul. It was the cutest thing. And I just said, wow, like this is why I do the work that I do. Right? I literally could have changed. I'm going to cry. I could have changed that student's life because I took two minutes to listen to them and how they felt. And then I responded and I brought them into the process to own their autonomy and how they're being seen in their own school. I would trade that moment for everything else that I'm doing within the community in my organizations, because that's why we do what we do. So I hope that teachers can remember that, right? Remember why it is that you do what you do. And in all the chaos that's going on, like you're with your students one-on-one -on -one for those moments and they love you and they will be able to feel when you see them and you hear them and you are their champion and you are changing their lives. And that's what I want to say. Oh, Naomi, thank you so much. So we know they can find our community can find you at neighbors4ed.org, but where else can they find you? You can email me if you want to contact me directly at Naomi Lopez dot NFE at Gmail. I'm also on the board for the Latina Equity Foundation, and that's Latina Equity Foundation.org. Awesome. Well, I'll have all of those linked in our show notes. Naomi, thank you so much for the work that you're doing on behalf of education, specifically for the community in which we are living and especially the impact you're having in the district in which I was raised. That means a lot. So thank you so much. And just the, the impact you're having on individual students' lives through the work that you're doing as a speech pathologist. We are so lucky to have you. It's an honor to be here with you. And we're lucky to have you. So thank you for all of this. Thank you. Thank you so much, Naomi, for joining us today. What a pleasure it was having you. Here are the takeaways. Number one, when you have a feeling, 
that thought where your heart and mind align and you can feel it in your gut, listen to it. It might be the key to changing something big. Number two, we can't expect others to advocate for what we believe. We have to first depend on ourselves to lead in that advocacy. Number three, public education is for all students. Number four, teachers need to be treated as professionals. Regarded as such, teachers deserve this. They are heroes. The heroes they were seen during the pandemic, they are still those heroes. Number five, you are seen, you are felt, and you are heard. Number six, everyone has a gift and a role to play in advocacy. Leverage that gift to advocate for what you believe in. And number seven, there is always someone else who knows how you feel. You are not alone. There is energy and power when people stick together and come together for a common cause. It's the most powerful thing because then you can find your voice.